All right. Hello, everyone. Good to see you guys. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Garrett. If we've never met, hi. I'm Garrett. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, before I dive into what I'm talking about, I just wanted to echo what Jake said. Like, it is so stinking cool how many kids we've got coming into this place. And yes, we are making an ask that you would jump in and help out because those volunteers are getting swamped and they're probably a little bit tired. But the more important thing I want to highlight with you guys is the impact you get to have when you do that. I've got three kids. All of them are involved in various parts of children's ministry around here. One, to hear them come home and talk about what they're learning, to recite what they've learned in class as a parent, just like, oh my gosh, that's amazing, and it wouldn't happen without the, the volunteers that are there. The more important thing to my kids is the relationships they're developing with these adults. They love their teachers. They know them by name. They talk about them. They feel like they're friends. I hope the volunteers feel the same way. So here's what it is. If you don't have like a degree in uh, education, you feel like you don't understand the timeline of the Bible to explain to kids. Like, you don't need anything other than a heart for kids to serve in children's ministry. And if you've got a heart for kids, it's one of the best places to make a significant and lasting impact in the life of a child. So um, I don't know if Jake mentioned this, but I will. On that connection card you have, I don't think there's a, a spot to say, send me info on children. So if you would just write in there, even now as I'm talking, um, info on children's ministry, and then at the end of service, drop, you tear it off and drop that in the box. We'll give it to Anna Chadwick, who's on staff here, heads up all the children's ministry stuff, and she'll get connected with it, okay? So I just wanted to put a tangible next step. You can fill out the card, drop it off in the box, and uh, away we go. So we are in week two of a series that we call Name Changers, and this is a series on identity. Who are we? How do we know who we are? Where does our name come from? Who gives it to us? How do we hear it? How do we receive it? How do we walk in it? Last week, Jake talked about Abram and how God changed his name to Abraham, one of the most famous characters, the patriarch Abraham in all of the Bible. Today, we're gonna talk about his grandson, Jacob, and how God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And here's my hope for today, that in addition to receiving the blessing that we have as descendants of Abraham, because that's what the scriptures teach us, that we are all descendants of Father Abraham. And the blessing that we receive as such is that we are blessing, if you will, that is available to God. In addition to that, there is also a very specific name, a very specific blessing that God has for each individual in this and each individual on the planet. There's a specific name that he calls you. So we have a general blessing, but as if that's not good enough, if you haven't learned yet, God isn't in the business of good enough. He's in the business of abundance. And so he also offers us a very specific blessing, a very specific name. And my hope today is that through studying Jacob's name change, we'll learn at least a little bit more about how to hear God's voice in the name that he calls us. Sound good? You guys here? We're awake? Oh, I feel it. Thank you for that. Jeremy, you're my guy. Nine o'clock is usually the sleepy one. Right now, you guys are looking at me a little starry-eyed. So I'm sure many of you have experienced nicknames, whether it's growing up, family, kids at school, coworkers, whatever. We're familiar with nicknames, right? I had a lot of them. None of them were really cool. There's other people that have cool nicknames. I had really lame nicknames. I grew up in Kirkland. My last name is Berkland, so they called me Berkland from Kirkland. 
It's really cute and catchy, right? <laughs> Apparently that was too long to say, so they abbreviated it to BK. But then they elongated it to Burger King. It made zero sense. It's just, I don't know why you're laughing. It's not funny. And then there's those elementary kids that thought they were like savant poets ahead of their time that were really good at rhyming, and they called me Garrett the Carrot and Garrett the Parrot. And then Garrett the Parrot got changed into Pollywanna Cracker, which made me really mad, and I hate parrots, and I'm allergic to carrots, and so it was just a bad combination. <clears throat> I end up in college. My best friends, three guys, they live in an apartment together, and they had nicknames for each other. They were so cool. Pipes, the Cardinal, for you Lebowski people, the dude. I loved it. Do I have a nickname? Hey guys, you got a nickname for me? They got all wide-eyed and kind of looked at each other like, oh crap. And, the, and yeah, but I don't think you want to know what it is. I'm like, you got a nickname and you've never told me? I'm like, yeah. What is it? You sure you want to know? Yeah, I want to know. What's the name you call me? Well, we call you Shadow. Shadow? What is that? <laughs> you guys already feel bad for me. You don't even know what it means. <laughs> but you, you're, you're, it's the correct response. They call me Shadow because there was this girl that many of us really liked. She didn't seem to know we existed. But I, according to them, I don't agree, but according to them, I made a habit of being wherever she was. They said I followed her around like I was her shadow. So they called me Shadow. I told them, that's terrible, I disagree. I hate you guys, give me a new name. So they gave me a new name, and it was worse. The Poodle. Yeah, The Poodle. They call me the poodle because I hate poodles. If you like them, I'm sorry. Good for you. I think that they're pretentious and have weird haircuts. So still to this day, when I get together with my college buddies, when we're on the phone, when we hang out, whatever, hey, poods, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. Good, pipes. How are you, jerk? You know, anyway, so... Some of you people in this audience, you're going to think you're really funny and you're going to bring it up to me later in life because you're a funny guy and I'll take you to the Hurt Locker. Don't try it. <laughs> Names that people call us, some of them are fun. Some of them are really hurtful. Some of them leave a mark. Often we carry these names around with us. Maybe it's not just a nickname, but it's a name that we have called ourselves based on experiences we've had, successes we've had or failures, and we begin to have this narrative that develops within us throughout our lives and names that we associate with who we are, what we do, what we accomplish, what we don't accomplish. And what happens when these names are at odds with the name God calls us? And that's what I really am hoping that we look at and, and, and shed some light on to today. And three questions that come to my mind when I think about how do I know as if how do I know if a name, a narrative within myself is at odds with the three things I ask? How do I even become aware that that might exist? And then once I become aware, how do I identify what they are? And the third is, once I've identified what they are, how do I replace them? How do we trade these false identities and receive our true identity? And so as we talk through this idea of name changers and that there's a name that you're called but God changes your name to bring you into alignment with his identity, that is our hope for this series. It's certainly my hope today as we look through the life of Jacob that we would find out what are some of the false narratives within ourselves and how do we replace them? How do we hear the name that God calls us today? And so as we look at the change of Jacob to Israel, I believe that we'll see two things. One, a lot of ourselves and our own story throughout Jacob's life, and two, that God is present right here, 
right now, and he has been our entire lives, and we may not have even known it. Our entire lives, God has been there, and he has been speaking to us, and we didn't even know it. If anyone should have known who they were, it was Jacob. He is a direct descendant, the grandson of Father Abraham. He would have grown up about the promises of God to his grandpa. He's like a prince. This guy would have just thought differently about himself because it's like royalty. He's like, Abraham's my grandpa. He's the man. God promised him his descendants would be more than the stars in the sky. That's my granddad. He would have grown up hearing stories all the time from his parents about who you are and the inheritance he has. But as if that was enough for him to win, God also met with Jacob multiple times throughout his life. In fact, he even met with Jacob's mom while she was pregnant and told his mom, who he was and what God had in store for him before he was even born. This was the life of Jacob. So we're gonna jump in where the story begins. It's in Genesis chapter 25 and we're gonna start where the story starts. The birth of Jacob and the naming of him. So if you wanna jump with me to Genesis 25, we're gonna begin in verse 21. You can follow along on either of these screens as well. Here we go, Isaac, Jacob's dad, prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Stop. Sounds familiar. Just a generation before, Isaac's mom was also childless. of many. His name joke because he had no kids. Into their 70s, their 80s, their 90s, no kids. The father of many was the father of none. His name was a joke. But God takes his name. He redeems it. He says, you have seen it as this, but I call you Abraham, not only the father of many, but the father of nations. Miracle happens, his wife gets pregnant, Isaac is born, but dude, right away, we're back into these circumstances of here's this great inheritance, and now Isaac's wife can't have kids. First verse. So Isaac is going before God and praying because his wife is childless. We'll continue. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. The babies, catch that, multiple, jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. So again, catch this, this language of nations. Abram, father of many. Abraham, father of nations. God is reminding him of this story and saying not only are there two babies, there are two nations that exist. We're back to that nations language. Two nations are in your womb and two people, people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. That's important. He's naming these children right here and right now to the mom because usually the younger serves the older, but he's saying the older will serve the younger, flipping the birthright upside down. Verse 24, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out and was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. <laughs> Last week, Jake talked about how his last name is mispronounced goats a lot, and his uncle's name is Harry, so he must be a descendant of Esau here. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Esau means red and hairy. Okay? It's very literal. Verse 26, after this, his brother came out, and his hand was grasping Esau's heel. You can't skip over this stuff. There's some weird stuff in the Bible. So I don't know if he came out breach. He's doing awesome, and they name him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to him. Jacob literally means supplanter, heel grabber, underneath the foot. It was a very literal name. Esau, Harry, Jacob, 
heel grabber. Later becomes known as deceiver, manipulator. But pay attention to this because this language of grasping is going to come into play several times throughout his story. So the boys grow up. Esau is a man's man. He grows up to be a hunter. He's this big, hairy dude. And their parents aren't shy about picking favorites. His dad loves Esau more than Jacob because his dad loves wild game. Esau's a hunter. He goes and kills wild game. He brings it home, feeds dad. Dad loves him. Jacob's more of a homebody. He likes to stick around the village. He likes to cook with mom. His mom loves him more. Okay, we're already So there's going on. After first service, someone's like, wow, you covered a lot of ground. Yeah, there's like more than eight chapters devoted just to the upbringing of these people in, their, uh, in, in Jacob's life. So for the sake of time, I'm going to hit the highlight reel, okay? So they're born. Parents pick favorites. They grow up. Hunter, homebody. Jacob, what you first see in like the first scene of his kind of grown-up life is that he is immediately deceiving and manipulating. He steals his brother's birthright. He dupes his brother into giving him his birthright. Right after that, he dresses up in a, like a gorilla suit. He somehow finds like a hairy suit to wear. He puts his brother's clothes on so he smells like him, goes to his father's deathbed and tricks his dad into thinking that he's his older brother and steals his brother's blessing from his dad. So he steals his birthright, then he steals his blessing. Now his brother's ticked and he vows to kill him. Jacob's like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm toast. He takes off and he's on the run. He runs away to a far off land where his uncle lives. He gets there, sees his uncle's daughter, which, time out, wouldn't that make her his cousin? Uncle, okay, I thought so. (laughs) He thinks she's hot and falls in love with her. The weirdest uncle, I want you to be my father-in-law. I like your daughter, I want to marry her. Father-in-law says, cool, work for me for seven years and then I'll give her to you. So he signs on the dotted line. It's a long engagement. And the seven years comes and he says, all right, dad, uncle, dunkle, I, I want Rachel. He's like, yeah, about that. We got this tradition where we don't give away the older sister before the younger sister, get Leah. He's like, what? He's like, but I'll give you Rachel too if you want her. You just got to work another seven years. So now it's 14 years that this guy's been there. It's interesting, just Take a time out for a second. This is the guy who's been manipulating, deceiving, tricking, cheating, all this stuff to get these things. Goes on the run, falls in love with the girl, tables get turned. Now he's being manipulated and used, you know? Interesting how this happens. About 20 years goes by. Jacob says, enough's enough. I'm tired of this. My father-in-law will not stop this madness. So Jacob goes back into his name, his narrative that he calls himself manipulator, deceiver, and he comes up with a plan to run away. Collects all the, all the livestock, and in the minute, he takes off and he runs away. Jacob is on the run. Three days later, I don't know why it took so long, but three days later, his father-in-law, his drunkle, that's what we decided to call him, I guess, Laban figures it out. He's ticked. He gets up and he starts chasing Jacob. Jacob finds out that he's doing this, and right at about the same time, he also learns that his brother Esau, who he cheated 20 years ago, has learned his whereabouts and is on his way to meet him with an army of 400 men. So just, I know this is a lot of stuff, right? I just brought a dump truck of history here. But you've got a guy that's scheming, planning, plotting, working all these angles, deceiving people, trying to get what's rightfully his, to have the tables turned on him, 
and be manipulated. He didn't like how it felt, so he went back. He's like, nope, I'm getting back in the driver's seat and I'm controlling my circumstances again. And then he takes off just to find I'm, I'm about to be flanked. From both sides, people coming at me, I'm hosed. I can't get out of this one. So what does he do? What he always does. He starts devising a plan. He's freaked out. And we pick him back up now in Genesis chapter 32, verse 12. And he's praying to God. And he's reminding God of something God told him in the past. Here's what he says to God. But you, God, have said, so past tense, something God said that he promised and Jacob and his time need is reminding him. So it's not just a Bible story. We can probably like see ourselves in this. When's a time in our life that God has said something to us and we're like, hey, 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 God, things aren't like going how to go. Like, let's make it good with each other, right? So he says, but you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Okay, interesting again. So now we had nation's language, which was reminiscent of the promise to Abraham. Now sand of the sea, which can't be counted. I don't know how many stars there are, and I'm sure as heck not gonna try and count the grains of sand on the earth. There's a lot of sand. So Abraham's gonna have more than stars. You're gonna have more descendants than sand. It's fascinating. And I, and I, and I mentioned this just a second ago, but again, if we were to see ourselves in this narrative and to step out of a Bible story and just kind of like try and put ourselves in this place, can you relate? Can you see yourself at all in a place where you feel like you've met with God? You've heard from God. You had an experience in your life that was deeply meaningful and impactful. And yet you go on through life and your circumstances seem contrary to the blessing, to the voice, to the promise, to the revelation that you received. And if we pay attention, we'll realize that God doesn't put out all the details on how this stuff's going to happen. He never told Abraham exactly, tells Jacob how all of these blessings are going to occur and how he's going to have more descendants than the sand on the beach. He just says that's what it's going to be. And we get these things and our circumstances don't line up with our expectations and we get stuck in this place of doubt. Did, did we make it up? Did we hear correctly? Maybe some of us try to drive through our own effort and our own power to achieve those things. That's certainly what we see Jacob doing here. He knows who he is and what he has been called to do, and yet over and over and over again, he is showing that it is within his own work. He is trying to earn what is already rightfully his. Catch that. I think that's so fascinating. Jacob is constantly trying to earn what is already rightfully his. God's spoken to him several times throughout his life, and yet he still thinks that he has to play some role rather than simply just trusting and receiving what God has, has promised him with. And so here he is. His father-in-law is chasing him from one side. His brother-in-law is coming at him from the other side. He's freaked out. He's scared. He's praying to God. Hey, remember, you told me God, so you better show up right now and do something. Amen. Okay, back to planning. He's back at his table and he's like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And he starts coming up with a plan because this is what he does. This is what Jacob the deceiver does. And he starts splitting up his stuff and he gets hundreds of livestock and he splits them into two categories and he says, I want the first group, a bunch of you servants to take all this livestock and go out ahead of me. And when you see my brother, say, hey, your servant's a gift. He is right behind us. He'll be here shortly. Lie. Lie. 
Because then he's got the second phase. And he says, again, another group of livestock and servants. Now you go on their heels. And if they don't buy enough time, then when you guys see him, hey, we are from your servant Jacob. He has sent us as a gift to you. And buy himself time so he can adapt and get out of Dodge. So here's where we pick the story back up. Now we're in Genesis 33. You guys with me? Yeah, it's a lot. It's crazy. It's like, it's like Maury Povich and uh, Jerry Springer had a baby, and that's what his story is. It's just crazy drama. <laughs> Seriously, man, this is crazy stuff. Genesis 33, beginning in verse 22. So he's just sent his servants and, and this plan up ahead to meet Esau, and he's hanging back with his family, and here we go. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So all the valuable stuff that he held back that he didn't want to give Esau, he sent it over. Jacob now was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Okay, hold on. If you're like me, how did we just go from like, he sent his wife and kids over there to suddenly there's some random dude that's wrestling with him, right? So I can't do this the justice it deserves because of time, but it's widely held, widely believed that this man was God. Jacob will refer to him as God, and later uh, in various parts of scriptures, it is also referred to God. So the question is asked, was this an angel of God? Was this God himself? I don't know. I'm speculating, but Jacob calls him God. Other parts of scriptures call him God. No one has ever seen the face of God and lived or gone, gone unmarked. So I believe that God manifested himself in human form, possibly the pre-incarnate Christ, and wrestled with Jacob. Speculation, so I'm, I'm admitting that, but Jacob himself says, I've wrestled with God later on. So here we go. So Jacob was left alone. A man came and wrestled with him till daybreak. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched his so the socket of Jacob's hip, so his hip was wrenched, disjointed, dislocated as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go, it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I ain't letting go of you. You gotta bless me. I'm wondering if Jacob, in that moment, the deceiver, right? Let's remember, the grasper on to stuff, controlling his circumstances at all times, if he thought, I'm out of options. My last option is to run but I just got injured. My hip's out of socket. I can't even run anymore. For the first time in his life, he has to surrender and say, I'm hosed. I got no other options. And so Jacob, hanging on to him, says, I'm not gonna let you go unless you bless me. I'm not gonna let you go unless you bless me. I got no other options. I need a blessing now. 28. The man said, oh, sorry, 27. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. God changes his name. Once was the supplanter, the heel grasper. Now, Israel grasping God. The literal translation of Israel means to wrestle with God. And, and when we hear wrestling, I think we tend to think of a fight, a struggle. But when you watch wrestling, 
what is one thing that you just can't notice? <laughs> What's the one reason I did not, well, two reasons I didn't wrestle. The singlet is terribly offensive, and I would never be seen wearing that. Second, I don't want, <laughs> I got a wrestler right here. <laughs> Do you love your singlet? <laughs> I didn't want my sweaty body on some other dude's sweaty body. And there's something about wrestling. It's a proximity to other people. You're intertwined. You're constantly grasping. And you got to get the richness of this picture. The guy that was named heel grabber is now renamed God grasper. Relationship, proximity, intertwined with. Israel is also a reminder of God's covenant name, his covenant blessing with his people. So not only is it who Jacob is, but it's a reminder of God's promise for all his people because they will be known by their relationship, their proximity to God as his chosen people, his children. This idea of a people group, a nation that grasps onto God, that holds onto God in Everything flows out of him through them as he protects them and gives them what they need. This, this to me is just this incredibly awesome picture. And I want us to see what's going on here as we talk about identity, as we talk about name changes. If you look at the example of Abraham, father of many, father of nations. Jacob, grasper of heels, controller to grasper of God. God doesn't change your identity. He helps you realize it to its fullest. Find it and then realize it to its fullest. And I think some of us sit back and we just wish that God would change our name. Like, like he's got some magic wand that he's going to tap us with and we're suddenly going to become a new person. But that's not accurate to what these stories depict. Last week, we are who he says we are. We just are. What happens with this name change is you don't become a completely new person. You just bring yourself in line with the purposes and the plans of God and then begin to experience who you were always designed to be. It's incredible, incredible picture. God doesn't change your identity. He helps you find it and realize it to its fullest. God wants to change our narratives, the things we've been told, the things maybe we were never told, the names you've been called, the names you call yourself, your failures, your successes, that you took human pride in, that you thought were because of you and your hard work and all of that a month ago on pride. It's okay to be proud of yourself and what you do. It just is, is it in alignment with because that's who God told you to be, or is it because you just worked really hard? What we see in Jacob is a life of just working really hard all the time. Why does God want to change our narrative? So that we can walk in our true identity, our true self, the purpose in which we were created, in which you were born, why you're here sucking oxygen on this planet at this place and time in history. Do you know that you have a plan and a purpose on your life? Do you know that? It's true. It just is. God created every one of us, specifically knit us in the womb of our mother. And he's got a very, very specific name that he calls you, a very specific blessing that he has for you. 
And you can partake in the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, where everything flows freely in its richness from the Father of lights above. Scripture says every good and perfect gift gift flows from the Father of lights above. Or we can live in this broken, sin-filled system, which is our world, that tells us these things like conventional wisdom, that if you accomplish these things, that you'll get to this place. And it's up to us. But I wanna go back to something God says to Jacob in verse 28. We're gonna, we're gonna jump back a couple chapters in the story. Because what did, uh, we're not going back to the wrestling match. We glanced over this idea that God says to him, I name you Israel because you have wrestled with God and with humans. And then what does he say? And he says, and you have overcome. What did he overcome? Did he overcome God? I think a lot of times we read this and think, dude, he won a wrestling match with God. Holy cow. I think that misses the point. Jacob in that moment overcame the lie that it was up to him to find and achieve in order to walk in his blessing. His greatest struggle wasn't even wrestling with God. His greatest struggle was in his identity. Believing he was who God said he was rather than being influenced by his surroundings and his circumstances. Jacob believed that in order to walk in the promise God had given him, he had to accomplish rather than to receive. His life was marked by it. I have to accomplish. I have to strive. I have to earn. Rather than the gift economy, which is the kingdom of heaven, which is simply just receive what God has for you. He believed it was somehow up to him to achieve God's promises. And I'll speak for myself. I'm thinking a lot of you relate, but I'll just put it on me. I relate entirely to this message. Some would relate more kind of a grab a bull by the horns type person who's gonna make stuff happen no matter what. And when push comes to shove, you just push a little bit harder and you break through it. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy over here that internalizes a lot of stuff. My self-narrative tends to be a negative self-narrative, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not gonna be clear in communicating all of these things today and maybe I shouldn't just get up there and do it anyways, that I need to spend more time, that I need to toil, that I need... Nothing's ever good enough. That's the narrative that I have. Doesn't matter which side you're on, which one you relate to, both of them are based in scarcity and a broken system. Because God is saying, this is how I made you. You are who I said you are. You can choose to play over here or you can choose to live here in peace, right? If we know scripture, that peace that surpasses all understanding, what does that mean? It means to just, Receive it, even when you don't understand it. Even when circumstances don't show what you think they're gonna show and it doesn't line up with how you thought it was gonna go down. All of these negative emotions you feel inside of yourself to either push through and ramrod something or to hunker down and be depressed are hardwired into us by our creator to go back to him and say, why do I feel this way? What's going on inside me right now? What do you want me to know? Because instead of going and saying, why do I feel this way and what do you want me to know, God? I go to, okay, what did my dad teach me? What did my professor teach me? What did the leadership seminar teach me? What did the self-help book teach me? I'm not demonizing any of that stuff and saying it's bad. It's just, if you go to those things, if you go to man-made, why do I feel this way and what wrong identity am I speaking to myself and receiving right now? You're gonna, your life's gonna be a lot like Jacob. 
lot of toiling, a lot of strife, a lot of wrestling. But God changed his name to Israel. And he has a name that he calls you as well. And he wants you to get out of that broken system. Okay, so hang in there with me. We're getting there. I'm going to now jump back into a passage that we glanced over that I think is one of the most highly impactful but most misunderstood parts of Jacob's story. I glanced over it before because I wanted to end with it. This is a major moment in his life. It's right after he stole Esau's blessing from his dad. He learned that his brother wanted to kill him, and he took off, and he's now on the run, okay? So that's where we're at in the story. He hasn't wrestled with his cousin, all right? All right, laugh, wake up, we're here, we're here. Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. He takes a puts it under his head, and lays down to go to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending. They're ascending, they're going from earth up to heaven and descending from heaven down to earth. It's an interesting picture. There above it stood the Lord, And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants in the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. So we went from stars in the sky to sand on the beach. Now dust, anywhere it blows, is yours. And you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is incredible. Everyone on earth is going to be blessed by you. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Let that soak in for a second. Is there any part of what God just said to him that said, here's what I want you to do? Is there any part? The answer is no. God just made a promise. This is how it's going to go down. This is what I'm promising you. Receive it. Live in it. Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not even aware of it. God is here and I didn't even know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is a gate to heaven. We only see this a few times throughout scripture. Starts in Genesis 1, the creation story where God creates and he says, everything is good. And you have this picture of Adam and Eve coexisting with God, and it's good. They're not doing anything. They're not striving for anything. They simply receive from what God has blessed them with. Everything is there for them and their enjoyment, and they are at one and in relationship with God. Then we get to Genesis 3, and this scary uh, system, an abundance kingdom, where everything is a gift and flows freely, to a scarcity system where everything takes effort. And Eve goes, maybe I want just a little bit more. Maybe there's a little bit more. And thus began our downward slide into what we experience now. So you got Genesis 1, everything's good, gift economy, abundance, kingdom of heaven, God and humans coexist. We don't see that again until this dream. This is the very next time where we see heaven and earth collide and there's a gateway, a passageway from heaven to earth. And Jacob says, God is in this place and I didn't even know it. As time goes on throughout history, we see it again in the tabernacle. We see it again in the temple. 
And then we see it in Jesus. Heaven leaves its home and comes here in the form of a human named Jesus, the Son of God, fully man, fully God. The kingdom of heaven has come. Jesus spoke a lot about that. And now, because of the work that Jesus did, not only did he die, but he defeated the power of death three days later, rose from the dead, What's one of the last things he said before he ascended back up into heaven? He looked at his disciples and he said, now, I'm gonna send you my spirit, the spirit of God that resides in me. I'm going to leave with you as your helper. And when you receive it, you will also receive power and you will be in likeness with me. Here's what you gotta catch. Jacob is in this transition place where heaven and the material have come together. And we are in that same place right here and right now because of the work that Jesus did because he gave us our spirit and said, I'm removing all obstacles. There is no longer anything that keeps you from me and Father God. The kingdom of heaven is here now and where is it? It's in me. It's in you. It's in you. The kingdom is within us. If you follow Jesus as your savior, as your redeemer, as your teacher, he has given you his spirit and the power of the kingdom of heaven resides in you. So now you have a choice. Will I believe that? And will I receive that? Of Christian, I butt off over here on this system that I was born to believe is how you succeed in life. Will I be depressed? Will I toil? Will I work my angles? Or whenever I feel that negative emotion, will I just look to God and say, Father, what do you want me to know? What do you have for me? I'm way off my notes right now, but that's okay because I'm, I'm feeling it. <laughs> here's, here's where we're going to land the plane. We've got a time of response. Because I don't want to just back up a dump truck and throw some ideas on you and have you walk out of here like, I don't really know what he was talking about. Maybe some of you thought, oh, that was good. Some of you are like, what the heck? I don't want to end that way. I want us to sit in this. Because that same spirit that's in us is here present, speaks to us. And I'm going to invite you in a couple moments into a time of just reflecting and praying and asking God's presence and his spirit to come and reveal some of these things to you. And so here's what I want you to on and ask yourself. The first thing, I don't want you to ask yourself this. I want you to ask God this. God, what are the false identities, the false narratives that I have taken on, that I have accepted? Whether I know it, whether I can identify them, I instantly come to your mind, yep, these are the things I tell myself. Or maybe you don't know it all. Father, what are the things the false identities, the lies that are holding me back from walking in my true identity. What are those things? And then, once you begin to have an awareness of that, the second thing I want you to ask God is, what is the name that you call me? Who do you say that I am? And this isn't like a magic bullet for some of you. You'll hear, boom, right away. You'll go, I've known that my whole life. I heard that when I was a kid. It'll bear witness to something you've already known. Others of us, it's gonna take a long time. Me, when I started hearing the name God called me, 
I thought, oh, that's not it. That's for sure. That's no way. There's no way he could, he could call me that. I have friends that he calls champion, influencer, all of these things. And, and they heard it. And like clockwork, they came to me and said, well, like, like they were embarrassed. Like, that's the name I heard, but there's no way he'd call me that. And I said, would Satan call you that? Would Satan? Satan already tells you, he tells you what you already know and think of yourself. It takes no effort to believe the stuff Satan tells you because it's the stuff you already think and say to yourself all the time. I don't want you to lose sight of what I'm saying. I want you to ask God, what have I taken on that is holding me back from receiving the identity you have for me? And once you have awareness of that, what is the name that you call me? And where I was going with my tangent was some of us will hear it right away, some of us maybe not. I don't want you to walk away from here frustrated and go, ah, I tried, I prayed, I spent two minutes, didn't hear it. It takes time. It takes exercise because we've got years and years and years and years and years and years and years of our life of hearing certain things and telling ourselves certain things. And so I'll invite you to what I do. I pray this prayer every day and I see where are the common threads. What is my voice? What is my dad's voice? What is my teacher's voice? What are my professor's voice? What are my coach's voices? What are my boss's voices? Hundreds of voices. They create static on the line that I'm hearing the clear, undiluted voice of God. But as we practice and as we pay attention, we begin to get more and more familiar with the false narrative and the true identity. Jacob, the heel grasper. God didn't change his identity. He helped him realize it to his fullness. You're not a grasper of stuff. You're not a controller of stuff. You are someone that grasps onto and clings onto God. That's who you are. And my promise is what it is, and I will bring it to fruition. And that's what he's saying to you today. You are all children of the living God, but through the work of Christ Jesus and the fact that if you follow him, his spirit lives in you now, you can access the kingdom of heaven unadulterated, nothing blocking your way, you can right now enter the kingdom of heaven and hear directly from God the name that he calls you. And so I'm gonna invite the band back up. They're gonna lead us through three songs. So you've got time. You've got time to sit and to pray these prayers and reflect. We've also got other ways for you to respond. Uh, Prayer team members, you can make your way to the back. They're gonna be standing in the back of the room and would love to pray over you. If you want someone to to talk with and process with and and to physically pray for you, they would love to do that. The candle station here is symbolic of lighting, lighting a candle is symbolic of sending a prayer up to heaven for you, for somebody else. Left and right sides of the room, communion. You can partake in the Lord's Supper. There's also offering boxes there. There's offering boxes on the back of the room. Drop off those cards. Invest your life in kids. It's awesome. You won't regret it. But as I wrap up my time and get off here, ask God, close your eyes, spend some time. Say, is it true? God, is there stuff in me that is holding me back from experiencing the fullness of who you created me to be? And if so, what is the name you call me? Give it a shot. I think you'll be surprised in a very, very, very pleasant way.